Welcome to Digital Yom, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, I respond to a listener's questions by discussing the importance of examining our intentions and motivations when preparing to work with our dreams. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. The meaning of the dream, or our interpretation of it, is largely dependent on the intentions of the interpreter, on what he expects the meaning to be or requires it to do. In eliciting the meaning, he will involuntarily be guided by certain presuppositions, and it depends very much on the scrupulousness and honesty of the investigator, whether he gains something by his interpretation, or perhaps only becomes still more deeply entangled in his mistakes. Recently I was contacted by a listener who had some questions about working with dreams. This person suspected that he wasn't the only one wrestling with these kinds of questions, and I suspect that he's right. No doubt a great deal of what has been discussed in this podcast has stirred up a lot of curiosity and a lot of questions. And that's why at the end of each episode, I invite your questions. There are layers to the practice of the symbolic life that can always be deepened and clarified and refined. And your questions help me better understand where that refining and clarifying is needed. And in that spirit, I thought I would take the opportunity to address some of the issues raised by this listener right here in the podcast. In his note to me, he spoke of feeling uncertain about how to move forward with his dreams. He had a lot of dream material, but felt he lacked a sufficient framework for doing the work of integrating dream symbols into his conscious life. And then he asked some very specific and practical questions. When you work with dreams he asked. What questions do you ask? Actions do you do? Or parts of the dream do you work with that deliver the most results when integrating dream life into waking life? Now, right off the bat, I have to confess that 
I have a feeling that what I'm about to say in response to this person's questions may not be what he's hoping for. At least not at first. These are valuable and, as I said, practical questions, and I will address more of the specific nuts and bolts of working with dreams in a future episode. But before getting into some of the nitty-gritty of the how of working with dreams, it's crucial that we first get a grasp of the why. We need to examine the motives with which we are doing this kind of work, because the assumptions behind our questions and the quality of our questions will determine the nature and quality of the answers we receive. As Jung states, our interpretation of a dream is largely dependent on the intentions of the interpreter, on what he expects the meaning to be or requires it to do. And so the first questions that need to be asked then are things like, what is your intention? What do you hope to get out of working with your dreams? What are your assumptions and expectations? What are your goals? But you see, already we come up against a problem. Whose goals are we talking about? Whose expectations? The essence of any kind of symbolic work is to shift our perspective from our habitual ego consciousness to that of our deeper nature, what Jungian psychology calls the self, with a capital S. If our intentions don't grow out of that deeper center, if they're merely the strivings of the ego, we may end up doing violence to our true nature. I should be suspicious of what I want, says the mystic poet Rumi. And this situation is amplified by the fact that there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to dream interpretation. I am convinced, writes Jung, that there is, in fact, no absolutely reliable method of interpretation. Ultimately, what all of this means is that it's not enough to simply rely on a technique or a method, as if those were simply neutral activities that always functioned in the same way for everybody. Much more important is to be clear about who is consulting the dream. Who you are will have at least as much of an impact, if not a greater impact, than what you do. The meaning of any dream stretches into depths of which we can't really know the limits. The writer Anais Nin once wrote that life shrinks or expands according to one's courage. Well, the same, it could be said, is true of dreams. What the dream can bring into our life shrinks or expands according to our courage. 
according to our willingness to face unfamiliar and sometimes uncomfortable truths about ourselves. For Jung, one of the virtues of the dream is its ability to continually offer to consciousness new points of view. It offers to us those things that are not available to our consciousness, both those aspects of our personality from which we have become disconnected, as well as those developmental potentials toward which our psychological and spiritual lives are tending. In a sense, it knows more about who we are and who we are becoming than we do. It is incumbent upon us, if we take on this kind of practice, to try to learn to see through the eyes of the dream rather than imposing our own habitual way of seeing on the dream. Too often, dream interpretation is approached as a, a means of wrenching up from the unconscious some piece of psyche that we hope will enrich our daily lives in some way. And the hazard of this approach, however, is that it can very easily be used in a way that just reinforces our old habits and our old ways of seeing the world. It's important to remember that the task is not simply trying to interpret our psychological material, to translate it into more rational and actionable terms. Rather, it is to allow the psyche to teach us something about ourselves. We have to reverse our usual standpoint. We are not the ones doing the work on ourselves. We are the material being worked on. And so we have to be wary of our goals. Understanding that the goal of the self, the deep self, and not the ego, is its own natural and necessary unfolding. And this may run counter to what we think we want and what we're often told we should want. And there's a passage from the Gospel of Mark in the Bible that I believe gives a nice symbolic expression to this question of our intention, of our disposition towards the inner life, and of the attitude with which we meet it. And it goes like this. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, 
it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The light in us wants to shine. In Jungian language, we would say that the self wants to be realized in and through our lives. Our deepest nature does not want to remain hidden, suppressed, dormant. And what we bring to the encounter with the dream, which is a kind of messenger of the self, will determine what we receive from the dream. If what we bring is generative, our encounter with the dream will be generative. If what is in us is rigid and stingy, just so will the dream seem to be. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I said earlier that who we are will have a greater impact than what we do. However, the greater portion of who we are tends to be unconscious. And therefore, it takes great care on our part to ensure the authenticity of our motives. And to this point, Jung states that it depends very much on the scrupulousness and honesty of the investigator, whether he gains something by his interpretation, or perhaps only becomes still more deeply entangled in his mistakes. So if the first question is about examining our intentions... The first action that naturally grows out of this question is the need to prepare ourselves for the encounter with the psyche. We need to empty out our attitude from being one of wanting to grasp, to dominate, and to know, making space for the possibility of being grasped and being known so to speak, by the unconscious. Jung's language about scrupulousness and honesty mirrors the language of the mystics, who call this kind of preparation the purification of the heart, which in its essence is the attempt to approach our own lived experience, free of those expectations and assumptions which contend to have us manipulating what we see in order to get an answer that doesn't challenge us too rigorously. It is an attitude of letting life be, of making ourselves open to the life in us, and it's to begin to recognize that we are not merely observers of life, or even journeyers moving through life, but an actual point 
and expression of life itself. At the same time, of course, it's important to recognize that we can't operate in a vacuum. We do need some perspective to orient ourselves. And what the theologian Raymond Panikkar says about philosophy is also true of psychological and spiritual practice. And he says, no one can truly philosophize outside a tradition, even when rejecting that very tradition. So this doesn't mean adopting a tradition wholeheartedly or becoming a true believer, which is why Panikkar also includes that statement about the possibility of rejecting one's tradition. But if we're not conscious of our own perspective, our own philosophy, our own tradition, then by default, we will be led unconsciously for good or for ill by someone else's, the collective concerns that press upon us from without. And the tradition at the heart of this podcast, of course, is Jungian psychology, but it's important to make clear that there are many different streams of Jungian psychology that emphasize many different perspectives. There is no one right and pure Jungian psychology. There can't be. It's not without reason that Jung once said, thank God I'm Jung and not a Jungian. He did not want his work to become a fixed and rigid doctrine or creed. In my own take on Jungian psychology, while trying to stay rigorous and grounded in Jung's work, is inevitably colored by my being, my experiences, my temperament, my culture, as well as all the other areas of knowledge that speak to me and inspire me. And as regular listeners know, that includes the great religious and wisdom traditions of the world, as well as the world of poetry and literature and more. I speak of the symbolic life because, to me, it is a term that can contain and express all of these different streams of knowing. Still, my answer to questions like the one we've been looking at here will necessarily grow out of that perspective and is only one of many possible answers. The symbolic life, as I've said, is a life of meaning. And the goal of this kind of life is very different from a life given, for instance, to achievement and productivity. And that, I would say, is the key takeaway from all of this, right? Certainly, achievement and productivity are not without their value. And for many people, a life centered on them will always seem to make more sense and be more practical than the sometimes obscure practice of meaning-making. From the point of view of the symbolic life, 
However, nothing could be more practical than the pursuit of meaning. It's our ideas and our images that determine our actions, and it's the experience of meaning that can fuel a life of achievement and creative living. And to speak plainly, the dream has a bias, and its bias is toward the life of meaning. Now, as I said earlier, in an upcoming episode, I will speak about some practical steps that you can take when working with your dreams. But for now, let me just finish by saying that if you are seeking to make a practice of working with your dreams, you should be prepared to recognize that the nature of dreams is such that they are concerned with the inner world with meaning, with spiritual and psychological truths. This doesn't negate the need for concrete and practical action in the world, but it's the inner and the meaningful that lead the outer and the practical, and not the other way around. The perspective of the dream, we might say, is turned more towards eternal or archetypal realities than it is toward temporal or personal concerns. And finally here, let me give Jung the final word. Dreams, he says, provide the most interesting information for those who take the trouble to understand their symbols. The results, it is true, have little to do with such worldly concerns as buying and selling. But the meaning of life is not exhaustively explained by one's business life, nor is the deep desire of the human heart answered by a bank account. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard in this episode, or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored on this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening, and take good care.